importance of the Word of God, so I hope that you're ready to follow along quickly. Um, we're going uh, to land in Exodus chapter 20, so if you want to start there, then that'll be wonderful. Just by way of introduction, what we've been doing over the last four weeks is looking through uh, the Ten Commandments, and in our first week we saw that the Ten Commandments really are a design for life. They are not something that is just an archaic group of rules for people who want to live life miserably. They're actually a group of, it's like a code if you like, it's, a, it's not the destination, but it's how we get to live the life that God has created for us. And we, we heard in the first week that there actually, you can split the Ten Commandments in two. The first four are how we relate to God, and then the last six are how we relate to one another, which is why Jesus said there are two great commandments, that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, body, strength, and we love one another as we love ourselves. It's the two sets of the commands. And then we heard first command was that we should worship God alone. For those of you who came, you will understand what I mean when I say a rock is just a rock when we worship God alone. For those of you who didn't hear, I haven't got time to explain. I encourage you to go and listen. Uh, it's, an ex- it's the first commandment for a reason. And without this first command, all the others fail. So uh, please listen to that on the podcast. Uh, The second command is thinking how we see and view God and how we imagine God to be. Um, That was last week. This week, we're looking at the third command, which we'll read in just a second. And really, the third command is in in the light of making God number one. And secondly, in the light of thinking about God in the appropriate way, How is it we should actually represent God in our lives? So I'm going to talk in two sections today. The first section is going to be kind of a foundational, why the name of God is important. And then the second part is, well, what does that mean for us in our life today? I really hope that you have the notes in front of you. Uh, They're going to help you a lot as we kind of fly through this. And also we have it on uh, on version. Um, and you can follow along there, and there's some little extras as well. If you have uh, the Version Bible on your, uh, on your mobile device, then you will probably be able to, well, hopefully should be able to follow along in, uh, as we go. Let's read uh, from Exodus chapter 20, just verse, one verse, verse 7. It says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So this is where we're going to be camping out today. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain, which we all know means thou shalt not swear or cuss because the big God in the sky is going to come and wash your mouth out with soap and water, just like my mum did to me when I was a kid. Right? How many mums, not now, how many of you actually have had that experience of having your mouth washed out? Really? I'm not surprised. I'm not <laughs> Who else? Blaine, yeah, that figure. See, yeah, no, okay. I actually remember having, we, we could uh, dish soap that you kind of squeezed in before dishwashers. For those of you who are under the age of 20, there was such a day when no dishwashers, you just had, we used to call it fairy liquid. And I remember mum making me open my mouth and squirting the fairy liquid in my mouth. Shutting my mouth like this, it was a foul experience, but I didn't swear, and I seem to remember that I had that happen to me once for picking chewing gum off the floor and eating it as well, because it's just this abundance, it was like manna from heaven every day, 
Apparently that's not appropriate. It's actually not just about swearing. I looked up just out of interest what the top 10 children's names are in Canada for 2013. These are the most popular names that babies are called when they're born. Number one for girls, it's Emma. Number two, Haley. Number three, Isabella. Number four, Jada. Number five, Matilda. Top five names for boys in Canada 2013. Number one, Glenn. Number, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's not true. In my dreams. Number one, Carter. Or as we would get called in Britain, Carter. That's what you'd get called in Britain if your name was Carter or Carter, as you say. Uh, Christopher, Hunter, or in Britain, Hunter. Um, Joseph and Joshua. You know, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into thinking about what the meaning of a name is, certainly in biblical times. We should be grateful we don't live in biblical times because, for example, Esau was called Esau because he was hairy. Just think about that. A hairy baby, we've got to call him hairy. Just think about some kind of thing that you have that is peculiar to you and be very grateful your parents didn't call you after that name or perhaps they did and that can be just a whole other story and coffee you could tell me. As I've said before, my name, Glenn, means valley. Very dramatic, very powerful, very important. A Scottish valley full of rain and clouds and just wonderful. And then you've got names like Gideon. Man of valor, you know, got Gideon, man of valor. Glen, valley. You know, it's not, it's not quite as impactful. But names are important. Those parents that are among us, perhaps, or parents we know about who, and I don't want to go down this line because we all have the experience of knowing somebody at school who you really felt sorry for because the mom and dad called him or her a name, that when you combine it with their last name, it just, you didn't think that through, did you? For the rest of his life, especially up to middle school, it's going to be pretty miserable for that kid. Think really carefully about what you call your children. So here are some just general thoughts about names. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says this, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. To have a good name is desirable. Good name. See, first of all, names are powerful and they stand for something. I can just throw out some names and immediately images or emotions or some representation will come into your mind. If I said Adolf Hitler, then immediately there are images and thoughts and emotions that come along just with me saying those two words. They're more than just a bunch of letters. If I think of the name Teresa, maybe we've got some... Well, we do have a Teresa in the congregation... But then you put Mother Teresa, whole different set of images and thoughts and emotions. Nelson Mandela, Shane. The reason I throw Shane in there is I spent 15 or so years teaching, and it seemed to me that every Shane that came through the school was, I, I remember thinking, I can never call my kid Shane. Because there seems to be Shane, there's a special spot for a Shane next to the principal's office. Or, and when I was vice principal, as, 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 um, next to my office, you know, it's Shane. It's just funny, like, as soon as I hear the name Shane, is there a Shane in the congregation? Praise God. How many of you know Shane and would agree that probably they spent a lot of time outside the principal's office? 
See, there's something about the name shame. Names are powerful. They represent ideas and concepts and values and images. There's even a transference of power and prestige when it comes to a name. There are certain names that, uh, that you put on a piece of clothing or on a handbag or on a car, and it's like their prestige gets transferred to the owner of that piece of clothing, handbag, or car, or maybe all three. If you drive a certain type of car, if you wear a certain piece of clothing, you feel different. At least that's what our culture says. You will be this kind of person if you drink this kind of alcohol. Look at how attractive you are and how much fun you will have if you wear these kind of runners. Really? If you have this phone, look at how exhilarating and exciting your life will be. It's a powerful name. If I say the name iPhone, then you'll think about all the different things that have been happening recently in the world of Apple. If I say the word Blackberry, part of you will giggle a little bit. Sorry, Lyndon, you don't have a Blackberry anymore, do you? No, so I can't really make fun of that anymore. But the name is powerful. Secondly, because of this power, we protect our names. We live in a world where you cannot just arbitrarily use a company's name for your company. If you try to set yourself up as Adidas, use their logo, then somebody is going to send you a cease and desist letter and say, stop that, otherwise we will sue you. They protect their name because their name represents something and you need to authentically represent that brand and get permission to do so. You can't just call your name a company name or a business name without actually making sure that you're allowed to do so, first of all, that you have the position and authority to be able to do that. Think about the name of Jesus for a second, that he applies to us as Christians just the same way we need to make sure that we have the right, we need to make sure that we have the position. You can't can't be, uh, you've got to authentically represent this company, otherwise they are going to come and pay you a visit. Another observation is a name will open doors. There's always a time in a dad's life where a, parent, a, a, a child will come and say, hey dad, can I have whatever, can I go here, can I have this to eat, can I, can I do this, can I do that, and the dad in all the authority that he can muster because he is dad says No. And then the child does something that you have no argument against, which is this. Mum said that I could have it. And it's hard to say, well, I don't care what mum said, because we just don't say that. And I go, okay, well, if mum said it was okay, then I guess it's going to be okay. There's power in a name. Even a child learns how to drop a name strategically. Maybe you've done the same. What do we say? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Who you know opens doors. Some of you maybe have established a business on the back of networking and trying to get to know people, introductions. Oh, well, so-and-so told me that it would be good for me to call you. We name drop because there's power in a name. A name gives position and authority. With all this in mind, how much more for the name above all names? The name above all names. It is a name that is powerful. It is a name that represents something. It's a name that is significant. It's a name that will open impossible doors. And God says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does this word vain mean? Vain means 
emptying of power, falsehood, light, inconsequential. So in summary, the third commandment says this. The third commandment is about how we misrepresent, misuse, misquote, and misapply God's name and all that he represents and therefore make him inconsequential in our lives. Boy, there is a hefty price to pay if you don't do this. What does the scripture say? It's, uh, let me read it to you. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him or her guiltless who takes his name in vain. Read it again. The third commandment is about how we misrepresent, misuse, misapply, misquote God's name and therefore make him inconsequential in our lives. And he puts a heavy consequence on that. So number two, no one gave God his name. Why is it so significant? God gave himself his name. Right at the beginning of time, God asked Adam to name all the animals, thereby putting Adam in authority over the animals. That's part of the fun part of naming your child. You get the privilege of naming your child because you have that position where you are able to do that. The child doesn't get to name itself. And the reason God did not allow Adam to name God is it would immediately put Adam in a position of authority. It immediately puts Adam in a position of knowing enough about God to be able to successfully name him. There's a story of a philosopher in a lecture who tried to show his students how difficult it was to describe God to the place where they actually knew God fully. And what he did is he said this. He said, describe, and I'm going to make you very happy in a second. Can we have that next photograph up, Dwayne? Let me just, I have to now. Describe the smell of coffee. Try and do that without actually saying, well, it smells a lot like coffee. If we find it that difficult to describe the fullness of the smell to a point where somebody who's never tasted coffee nor ever smelt coffee would be able to go, you know what? I think I have it in my mind what that smells like. And you can replace most things in that way. You know, describe the smell of a baby's diaper. It smells like a baby's diaper. It's very, very difficult to describe the smell. If we can't do this with smells, if we can't do this with our limited understanding without actually calling into place what the thing actually is, we are totally ill-equipped to be able to describe fully who or what God is, to be able to give him a name that God is this, because we're so limited in our understanding. So what God does is he reveals himself And what his name represents in the word of God. He says, you want to know what God represents? Here it is. You want to know what my name represents? Here it is. You want to know how I think, how I act, what I, uh, how I respond, what I say, then here it is. If you really want to press into who God is, then turn to Jesus, who's the representation of God himself. The Lord will not hold him guiltless 
who takes his name in vain. Why is that? Because by making God inconsequential, we are, listen, renaming God. We are making God something that he is not. We don't get to do that. And there are some dire consequences if we change who God is and we represent him incorrectly, just like there would be some dire consequences legally if you take a name that doesn't belong to you and apply it to a business and go, hey, I'm Adidas. Mm, Actually, no, you're not, because you are nothing that Adidas represents. We do not rename the I am without consequences. So number three, Lord, I am who I am. In the Old Testament, God's name is very interesting. 6,800 times the name Lord appears. And that name Lord actually comes from the word Yahweh. And Yahweh, uh, we, we would pronounce Yahweh, we'd throw some vowels in there because it's actually quite difficult to say that word because that is how it was written in the Hebrew without any vowels. In fact, the priests held God's name at such high esteem that they wouldn't say it. If they had to write it, they would bathe themselves, change their clothes, put new clothes on, use a new pen, and then after they had written it, threw that pen away. Because they understood what Yahweh meant. It means I have always been and will be. It's the great I am. It's unlike anything else. It's self-sufficient. It's independent. It cannot be contained. It's unchangeable and trustworthy. It is able and powerful. And they held it in such high esteem. They were amazed that God had revealed himself to them. Because they saw themselves as so inconsequential compared to God that they didn't even want to utter his name without it being in honor and in respect. They took it seriously. God was mysterious. And he often took people's lives if they used his name in vain. He was mysterious. But not to us. God is not as mysterious to us As he was to them. And the reason is this. Number four is Jesus represents God's name. See the word Jesus comes from the word Yeshua or Joshua. And it means this. The Lord, Yahweh, saves. Saves. And then his second word that is often attributed to Jesus Christ is the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And between those two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, what you actually get is Jesus' mission. You've got Jesus saving and Jesus coming. He came in order to save. The Bible says he is the complete representation of God. You want to know, I said this in a lot of detail last week. You want to know what God looks like and and what his image should be in your mind? Go to Jesus. Don't make it up. Don't think you know what God is. Go and find out what God is. And even then, we feel like we're just scraping. To even say scraping the surface actually gives an impression that we're anywhere near a surface to scrape. We're not even anywhere near being able to sum God up by reading the Bible. But in his wisdom and in his truth, he has given us an idea. He's given us an inclination as to who he is. And Jesus himself, through the scriptures, makes it very clear how reverently we should be treating the name of God. How reverently we should be treating who God represents. Sorry, what God represents. His character, his beauty, 
His integrity, His truth, His mercy, His kindness, His love. All these things, all these aspects of who God is, summed up in the name Yahweh, Lord. Jesus says we should be reverently our Father. Hallowed be your name. See, in that, just that short sentence, Jesus is, is really just giving representation of how we approach God. Number one, He is Father. He allows in His wisdom that we, although we are so separated by our sin and disobedience, He says, through Jesus, you can be saved, you can be reconciled, you can be brought back to God. But also know that He's to be hallowed. So how do we do this? Let's look now at the practical aspects. And I'll be honest with you. There are times in my family when we go, okay, we need a family meeting. My four children, Sarah and I will sit down and Buddy will stand, sit there hoping that food is going to be involved. A little dog. We'll sit there and I'll go, you know what? There's some things we need to talk about. And the kids know. <laughs> as soon as we say, okay, family meeting, it's not always a trip to Disneyland. I've got to be honest. It's usually, okay, have you done something? I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. Was it me? Have I missed something? Or what's he found out? Or whatever. It gets serious. People lean in. And if you were a guest to our house and I called the family meeting, and my kids all sat around the table, and you were in the same room, you would quieten down, and you would lean in as well and go, well, this is going to be interesting. So now I'm calling a family meeting, a church family meeting. And maybe you're a guest here today, and then you get to lean in and go, okay, Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you are just exploring the idea of what Christianity is. You get to lean in and hear what the family stuff. It's the how do we go about making sure that we honor God's name. In Ephesians 4 and verse 21, Paul says some interesting things. I'm not sure if I have this on a slide or not. I can just read it to you. Ephesians, it's on you version. Ephesians 4 verse 21 says this, Assuming that you have heard about him, Jesus, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Family meeting. If you're in Jesus, here it is. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I preached on this verse a few months ago, but there's two things I want you to know as we go about hallowing the name of Jesus, hallowing the name of God, making sure we do not use his name in vain. There's things that we need to stop and there's things we need to start doing. Put on, put off. So let's get on with the family meeting. And it all ends well. Because every family meeting ends well, right? Well, mostly. Number five, how to honor his name. How do we empty the name of God and make it inconsequential? Remember what vain means. How do we empty his name of power? Because we, we need to know how we do empty his name of power in order to avoid it. It's very practical. First of all, misapplying 
and misrepresenting God's name. How do we empty God's name and make it inconsequential? We misapply and misrepresent his name. All through the Bible, uh, we're told about these characters called false prophets. In the New Testament, it actually says that we can, and the Old Testament says we get to stone false prophets. And we kind of joke about that, that when we say, oh, well, it's going to snow next week, and good Christians will go, well, do we get to stone you if you're wrong? (laughs) That's so funny. No, you don't. Because I'm not so much prophetic, more pathetic most of the time. So no, you don't get to stone me. But a false prophet in the Old Testament, it was really clear. They would come, the Bible says, listen, in the name of the Lord. And this is what this meant. They would say this, thus saith the Lord, because they were good old-fashioned Pentecostals. Thus saith the Lord. And what that meant was this, what I'm about to say comes straight from God. What I'm about to do comes straight from God. I do what God does. I say what God says. I represent him. My ways are his ways. And God says this. No, you don't get to say that if you're a false prophet. In fact, we get to stone you if you say that. And this is what it meant. You don't get to use the name of God to bring about personal gain to your life. See, the prophets would come and they would say whatever it is or do whatever it de- they did or, or, or uh, their actions in whatever way, saying this is what God would say and do and act. And it was for personal gain. They were leveraging the word of God. They were leveraging the name of God in order to gain personally in their lives. And this happens prevalently. Is that such a word? Help me, somebody who's bright. Yes? No? Who knows? Okay. Prevalently. Adam, am I good? Prevalent, thanks, mate. See, this is why I'm grateful for my interns. Copious notes and like, you should never say that ever again. This happens all the time. That's what prevalent means. Happens all the time in our world. People using the name of God for personal gain. Speakers going around the country speaking in the name of Jesus in order to gain financially at the end of the meeting. Drives me nuts because it pulls the name of God down. It misrepresents God. Pastors filling churches with lights and lasers and heretical teaching in order just so that they could build a strong church. Pulling the name of God into disrepute. Writers, filmmakers tagging the name of God onto something in order to gain for their lives. Selling products. I tell you, if I just feel like I need to be a little bit more angry, because I just feel like I'm not angry enough, I'll go to the Christian bookstore. And I'll look at the, and I think we might have an image. I've skipped ahead a little bit here, Dwayne, but I I think, have you seen these? I'm serious, like fish mints, fish-shaped mints, and they all come with a little scripture. That is pulling the name of God down, leveraging God's name in order for personal gain. Now, if they were selling that, and look, there's soap. Christian soap, because I'm not going to wash my hands on non-Christian soap. Are you mad? I need godly soap. 
to wash my hands in. I did a bit more research. I, I didn't actually find an image because it was actually difficult to tell the difference between. But you can get Christian faith-based bird cages. Just starts rising up a little bit inside of me because I'm thinking, really, is that what we're making God? Leveraging God to bring about a gain for themselves? So let's make it a little bit more personal because I'm guessing that you maybe are not producing mints and products and putting the name of God on it so that you can get personal gain, thus saith the Lord. But perhaps we're running Christian businesses and we use the word Christian or God in order to gain business. Be very careful because as Christians we are called to work hard and with integrity. And we need to make sure that whatever we do in the name of the Lord is actually in keeping and in alignment with who God is. The second we step up and go, you know what, I see a business opportunity here. I'm just going to use the fact that I'm a Christian in order to get that business. You're breaking the third commandment. We should work hard with integrity. And can I just say it works this way? If you are uh, not a business owner, but you're just a Christian at work, be really careful how you represent God at work. With, you should work hard. You should have integrity. You should quietly, God-filled, lovingly get on with your work in such a way that you are not misrepresenting his name. Religions and cults misrepresent his name all the time. They'll use Jesus to bring credibility to what they say. For example, the JWs will use Jesus to bring credibility to what they say while not saying very loudly who they make Jesus to be, which is not the Son of God. So you talk to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon and they will refer to Jesus and they will use Jesus in order to bring you them into their cult misrepresenting the name of Jesus, using the name of God in vain. Politics happens all the time. They use God like some mascot to say, hey, give me your vote because I'm a Christian. I even heard about a pro-abortion group, John, praying a blessing at the end of their meeting on their actions. God takes this very seriously. We are not to misrepresent the name of God in order to gain personal credibility or control. The Lord told me to say this to you. Be very careful. Well, God said this and he's telling me to to say this to you. You know what? If somebody says that to you and it doesn't align with something that's in the scripture, you reject it immediately. I don't care who they are and how big a holy beard they might have or that kind of spiritual look that they have in their eyes that looks like they can see right through you. If it doesn't line up with this scripture, false prophet. False prophet. Using the name of God in vain. Be very, very, very careful if somebody comes to you and says this. God's told me to tell you that you should do, fill in the gap. Go there. Do this. Be this way. Or even, and this has happened in a church that I pastored. God's told me to tell you that you should marry me. Okay. <laughs> wow. I actually... Uh, was asked to marry somebody who was in that circumstance. Why are you getting married? Because she told me to. Okay, let's have coffee. A really long one. (laughs) Didn't actually take that long. They left the church and I didn't marry them. Be very, very careful when you use the name of God in order to gain personal leverage. 
to do, to say. It's false prophecy. It's misapplying, misrepresenting God's name. And this is what it does. It demeans God and what he represents. Well, we find this teaching quite harsh. Like, whoa, Glenn, you, you know, your hackles are up this morning. Only because God seems to be very serious about this. And this has been really, really convicting for me this week. Because it really caused me to analyze, am I using God to, and leveraging him and trying to get personal gains through me using him and the fact that I'm a Christian and that Jesus died for me? How about in our general actions? This is still under misrepresenting God. For those of you who don't own businesses or maybe you're not sucking on uh, Christian mints and you know, you're, not, you're not thus saith the lording to people every Sunday, what, what does it look like for just the regular me and you? When we act in a way that is incongruent with who God is, we are misrepresenting God's name. We are breaking the third commandment. What does that look like? One of the scariest scriptures in the New Testament. Matthew 7, verse 15. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You are breaking the law. You are breaking the third commandment by doing what? Works in your name. Not for your name. Jesus says, I never knew you. He said, look, I ran around and I did all sorts of stuff in your name. And Jesus says, great, but you didn't do it for me. You did it for you. And they're even passionate about it. Lord, Lord, in the, in the scriptures, whenever there's a repetition of word, it actually means shouting passionately, Lord, Lord. Jesus said, I don't care how passionately you said it. I don't care how many times you went to church. I don't care how many times you intensely prayed. If you did it with the thinking that you were going to gain from it, then I do not know you. So what does that mean to you and me It means that our actions, our talking, are taking part in and then calling yourself a Christian. God gets very serious about this. For you to say you're a Christian and then pull down the name of Jesus by what you say, you might not be pulling him down, but you might be taking part in a conversation that pulls down the character of God just by the fact that you represent God. And should you be saying that kind of thing if you represent God? Should you be going to that place if you represent God? Should you be watching that, uh, uh, that video clip if you represent God? Or are you pulling the name of Jesus down? Because you represent God himself. In infant school in, in Great Britain, I'm not sure whether they still do it. They did up until, um, uh, well, they certainly were doing it until I finished teaching in Britain. They, there, was, there was a very, at 11 o'clock every day, we would file in and we would get a gift from the government. It was a beautiful thing. And, and, and what it was, and at that time it was actually in glass, you'd get a little bottle of milk. Uh, just like this. Not, neither of those are me, just in case you're thinking. 
But this is what it was like. You get little ones coming up and, and you get your bottle of milk. It was glass. Here you go, little five-year-old. Here's that glass bottle with a straw. And what you would do is add this aluminium top on, on it and you'd stab it, which just imagine for a little guy, this was all sorts of fun. Okay, trying to stab each other's milk bottle tops. There was milk everywhere. You were slipping and sliding. You were covered in it. It was great every day. By the end of the week, you stank of sour milk. But your mums and dads just expected that. Every day you would file in, you'd get a bottle of milk as a gift from the government because they wanted to bring it. It came from the war. They want to increase calcium and all the good things that because kids didn't get milk at home. Pause for effect and emotion. This kid did, but he still got free milk. It was awesome. But there was other people involved in this process, and they were known as the milk monitors. Other little guys with a big milk monitor badge Milk monitor, usually hand-drawn. And if they couldn't find it, they'd just write it on their shirt. And they would stand there like they were part of the militia watching you to make sure, number one, you only took one milk bottle, one straw, and that you drank it sensibly and with honor, representing the school in which they stood. One day I got to be milk monitor. One day. <laughs> only one day. Because... <laughs> I'll be honest, it went to my head, you know, I was drop-kicking other kids and, like, arresting them, putting them up against the wall, start skin hutch style, it was wonderful. No, it's not quite true, but that's how I felt. I was given the authority of being a milk monitor, and I took it seriously, ladies and gentlemen, for one day. Because I represented something. I represented a devolvement of power and authority. And I knew it. And I felt it. I was aware of it. It changed the way I walked. changed the way I looked. changed the way I spoke. changed the way I thought. Actions that were acceptable before, like flicking milk from one side of the room to the other because you could fill your straw up and go, that no longer was acceptable on that day. My thinking changed. Why? Because I wore that badge. People looked at me different. And a silly... An illustration as that is, people should be looking at you and me differently because we wear the badge, excuse me for saying it that way, that we wear the cloak of righteousness. We wear all that that cross represents every day of our lives. And if we are saying things that are pulling down the authority that that represents, then God is very serious about that. If your whole life is pulling down the name of Jesus, if your actions are not in alignment, that on one hand you're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but on the other hand you're running around and taking part in actions or practices or words or, or, or relationships that are inappropriate and wrong, God says you don't do that. No matter how passionately it's Lord, Lord, we need to know that who we are doing it, listen, for, not in. For the name of Jesus. Secondly, and a little bit more quickly, because that was an important point. We don't get to make false promises. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I swear 
to God. It's part of our language. Or I swear on, fill it in. It's almost like our word is so unreliable that we feel like we have to swear on something to prove what we're saying is true. Jesus says your word should be enough. Friends, very simply, this is what the commandment says. Live like your word is enough. Run your business like your word is enough. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you say that you're going to provide something, you provide it. If you say that it's going to be provided on this day, you provide it on that day. If you say that you're going to be at an appointment, you get to that appointment on time. And if you're not able to, then you show enough courtesy to let the person know, because we have enough technology to let them know. Do we all make mistakes? Absolutely. <laughs> I make mistakes with this. But if your heart is just, Muh, I'm going to run my business in any way that I can just leverage whatever I can in order to get the personal gain that I need. And by the way, I'm a Christian. That You don't get to do that. Be a dad or be a mum in such a way that your word is enough. If you say that you're going to do something, do it. Dads and parents, mums, your kids learn quick. If you say something and do another, they learn quick. So when something really significant comes along, they'll just think to themselves, yeah, they don't mean it. Be a student like that. Have integrity. Live in such a way that you are representing the name of God. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is more than just lying. This is being authentically who you say you are going to be. So please listen in because this affects us all. Even if you get a better offer. Yeah, I will come and help you. Yes, I will be committed to that. Yes, I'll be there. You can rely on me. And then you get a phone call or an email, you get a better offer, a better experience, and you go, okay, hang on a second. Actually, I think I prefer that, and so you let this person down. You don't get to do that. We don't get to do that as Christians. It's our yes be yes, and our no be no. Even if it's personal plans or in business, we follow through with what we say we're going to do. And if there are times that we're unable to do that, we let the person know. We say, hey, look, I'm really sorry. Here's what I'm going to do. This is what's happened. You don't let that become an MO of your existence. So they start thinking, this is, this is what they should think. Wow, this is really unusual that Glenn is like that. So, yeah, I, I know there must be something wrong. I said to my interns a couple of weeks, guys, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. Because you know what? That's what my pastor said to me, so I get to say that to them now. But in all seriousness, there are times when we're late. There are times when we can't get to an appointment. There are times that we forget. There are times that we make mistakes. But that should not just be a practice that we live our life on. Someone living with you, working with you, studying with you, doing business with you, having uh, parenting with you should be the best experience ever for them. They should go, wow, it is a delight to be working with this person. It's a delight to be doing business with them. And you know what, friends? It will cost you. Some of you, big time. Some of you experienced that. You followed through with the promise, and it has cost you financially a lot to do that. God will honor that. Hey, I'll be there. Count me in. And then you don't show. We don't get to do that as Christians. James says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. 
We don't swear. Really quickly, because this is pretty simple, cussing somebody out or saying the name of Jesus Christ when we stub our thumb or toe or something goes wrong is obviously covered in this command. We have such a high opinion for the name of Jesus Christ and all that he represents. We don't use him to swear. Interestingly enough, it is so part of our culture. I don't know if you ever thought about it. You don't hear somebody saying, oh, Buddha, or something when they hurt themselves. Oh, Muhammad. Oh, Allah. You don't hear them say that. They use the name of Jesus Christ, I believe, because it is so powerful just to say the name of Jesus Christ. And Satan will do everything he can to demean it. So what about other swearing? Because using the name of Jesus Christ trivializes God and pulls him down and demeans him. We don't do that as Christians. If you are uh, somebody who's become a Christian and swearing was part of your life before, pray and ask God to forgive you and repent and then ask him to help you to not use that word. And you'll find yourself being quiet a lot, which may be good for everybody involved. Who knows? But over time, it will change. And can I include especially young people O-M-G. And it is not, oh my goodness, who are you kidding? Come on. Texting and Facebook, O-M-G. It is not a good way to refer to God publicly just to make a point or to be cool. So what about general swearing? This has got me into some trouble, friends. I've got to be honest. Because there are things in Britain that are acceptable that aren't here, and there are things here that aren't acceptable in Britain, and, and it's caused me a lot of fun and laughter in between, because sometimes somebody will say something here, and I'll just kind of spray my drink, because I'm like, you can't say that, why not? It's fine. It did make me laugh that uh, one time a few years ago we were watching a hockey game and we invited somebody who was a lovely Christian and, and the Canucks got scored against and there was this expletive that came out of his mouth and, and like every, all my family's went, <gasps> and he went, what? Nothing? Because I know him well enough that he's a godly man and, and he does not swear as part of his normal vernacular. And, and so he said, is that a bad word? Yes. Oh, it's not in Canada. Okay. <laughs> and then he went on to say it three or four times again in the game and apologized every time. It was awesome. So how does it work? Swearing here, not swearing there. What, what, what does that look like? Can I just give you a piece of advice? It is not culturally acceptable anywhere in the world to not wear deodorant. You can go, well, it's fine in my family. Well, it's not in this. It's okay in my country. Well, it's not in this country. You wear deodorant, my friend, when you come around other people. It's one of those kind of culturally offensive practices that once we know it's culturally offensive, the Bible says that as Christians, we should not be offending people. So is there anything wrong with the makeup or the grouping of the word that I'm not saying any of them? I know you want me to, but I'm not. It's just a bunch of letters, but it's what they represent in your culture can be culturally offensive. No matter how much you want to argue for or against it, culturally, if it's not the right thing to say, we don't say it because we don't want to offend. So it's pretty simple. Finally, within the light of all this, what do we put on? And I've been alluding to this all the way through as we conclude this family meeting. 
We've said, look, let's not misrepresent the name of God. Let our yes be yes. Let's be living in such a way where we represent everything that the cross means in an authentic way. Let's not leverage God in order to get personal gain. So as we conclude this family meeting in a positive way, let's finally make much of his name. When we honor his name, we honor God himself. Very simply, and in summary to everything I've said, we make much of Jesus and what he did by what we say and what we do and what we don't do. Let me say that again. We make much of Jesus and what he did on that cross and all that he represents by what we do and what we say and what we don't say and what we don't do. How we conduct our businesses, how we parent, how we act, how we listen, how we care, how we make priority, how we follow through with our promises. That all speaks much of Jesus. Why? Because our culture is you just do whatever you need to do to get it done. We do not run businesses like that. We make much of Jesus in our businesses. We make much of Jesus in our families. All these things point to him or away from him. If somebody says, hey, you know, I I heard so-and-so was a Christian. Isn't that hilarious? Because I know that he ripped that other guy off the other day. Typical Christian. Third commandment. Honoring his name highlights Jesus and what he came to do, Emmanuel. What he came to do, um, Jesus, he came to save. Let me read you a scripture as I finish. Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, will you bend the knee? Because either we will bend our knee willingly in surrender and submission and repentance now. Or we will be made to bend our knee at the end of time in judgment. Either way, you will bend your knee. It's just a matter of when. And I choose as a dad and as a pastor to live my life in such a way where I will strive to bend my knee to his name. Today is the day of salvation for those who have not been bending their knee, who have maybe been breaking this commandment. Everyone will bow. Eventually, because he is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He is the name above all names. And we've heard in the other other sermons why this is good news to us. Because he is merciful and he is kind. And even though he protects his name, he does it for the love of himself in terms of his glory. But ultimately for our good. Because as we seek the name of Jesus and as we lift him up and as we bend our knee and we make much of him, the joy and the purpose And the life design alignment that the commands bring are our experience. And as we come to communion in a second, and Adam is going to be leading us in that, I want us just to think about a couple of questions. Maybe as I say them, they're they're quiet prayers to you, and they're on the notes, I believe. I'm just going to read them. Lord Jesus, 
Have I misspoken about you? Have I cowardly failed to speak up for you? Lord Jesus, have I misrepresented you? Lord Jesus, how have I used you for personal gain? And as we ask God these questions, he is merciful and kind to forgive. And as we seek him, you'll find that out of his spirit will emerge these beautiful practices that just, friends, just feel good and right. Even when it's difficult, it feels like it's the right thing to do. And I want to encourage you as a Christian this morning to sincerely pray through just those simple three prayers. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to sincerely examine yourself as to whether or not you think you may be breaking this third commandment. Because you're just disregarding God and all that he represents. He is a good and faithful and loving and merciful, great I am. And we get to remember that in a second in communion. Before we go to that, let's pray and sum all this up. Dear Jesus, we recognize that this perhaps more than any of the three commandments we have looked at has been the most convicting. Because Lord, this affects our everyday. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people, a group of Christians, a church, community groups who are dedicated to living life in such a way where we honor your name. Even if that means short-term difficulty for us. But Jesus, I know that I cannot do this in my own strength. I'll, I'll be able to do it for a couple of days, maybe. But I will slip back to old habits. But I thank you, Jesus, that all I need to do is plant my eyes upon you. To read your word. To be grateful, to be thankful, to make much of you. And Lord, I thank you that your promise is, is that as I do that, then these good practices will emerge. That which I could do, I will no longer be able to do. That which I used to say, I'll no longer be able to say it. Those untruthful practices, I, I'll be unable to do it, Lord, as I keep my eyes upon you. Lord, I pray that as a church that we would be dedicated to running our businesses. Even if it means short-term pinch, but we'll do it in a faithful way. Lord, help us as parents. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Help us in our parenting, Lord Jesus, as we focus upon you. And students and young people. Lord, let them represent you well. Thank you, Lord, that you are so merciful that you gave your very life so that we could live in this way. And Lord, I pray that as we move into communion and as Adam leads us in that, and Lord, we focus on worship. Lord, let us be reminded once again of how beautiful a sacrifice will take our breath away 
You are a good God. Thank you, Lord.